So verse 22, I'll read it uh, from, uh, hold on, 22 to 25 is what I read. So it reads this way, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So what we began to look at last week was really just the one word, uh, which is the word slaves, which is uh, in the Greek language is the word doulos. And the reason why we spent some time looking at it is because, partly because of the times we live in, uh, it makes what is being said here controversial. It should not be. Uh, but as is often the case when people deal, whether the, whether the issue is political or whether the issue is, is uh, one that, that, that affects society as a whole, or maybe some combination of that and, and politics, people normally don't pay attention to how words are used, what, what, what's being actually communicated, and they jump to conclusions, and then as a result you have all kinds of problems. So what's been going on is that because there's not a verse that says slavery is wrong and you should set all slaves free, there are people who are going around saying that the Bible promotes slavery, which is untrue. Uh, in fact, again, if, uh, just a, a quick reading through history, you'll find that a majority, not all, but a majority of all movements to free slaves was done by Christians. And even in arenas where they were not Christians, they were still influenced by the Bible. That's, just, that's, that's, that's history. It's fact. There are times, in fact, oftentimes like this, where there's these commands given to those who are slaves. Paul here is not advocating slavery, but the goal is not to overturn the slave trade because he, he can't. That, that wasn't within his ability to do. And what he's dealing with is, so if you are a slave and you are a Christian, this is how you are to behave. They get into, if you are a slave owner, and even then some people say, well, if somebody was a Christian and they had slaves, they should have immediately set them free. Yeah, you could have done that, and most of them would have died because of the way that the cultures, were, the way the world was. So again, no one's advocating that slavery was somehow a good thing, because it wasn't a good thing. Uh, but it was a, an institution that had been around. Let's see. Let's go all the way back to probably the offspring of Adam and Eve. Uh, it's been around for thousands of years. Um, and it's, it was not something, you know, sometimes individuals, at least in our society, they get all hung up on the slavery that took place in America, which was a bad thing. No one's saying that it was good. But it wasn't the only slavery that was going on. Um, and they weren't the first. And they're not the last. And slavery still happens. There's still slavery in the world today. And it's not just a sex slave. All right? The sex slave trade is prominent. And it is global. But there's also the other kind of slavery going on, too. And it normally takes place in the Middle East. It's still there. Um, I've talked to individuals who have spoken to individuals who are slaves. Um, they have, you know, they have become that. They thought they were going over there for uh, a job, and they got a job. And then next, next thing you know, they can't leave. 
and they're unable to leave. And so basically, even if they're getting paid, they're, they are slaves and they're treated as such. So we want to make sure that we clear the air that when it comes to that, um, that the Bible does not advocate slavery. At the same time, the Bible, the Bible also wants us to understand that there's a concept that can only really be communicated by the word slave that, or actually there's several concepts, but they're all in the same arena that's important for us to understand. The main, the, some of the, one of the main ones is the idea that before an individual becomes a, a, a Christian, they are a slave to sin, right? And, and it means slave. Uh, sin dominates your life. You are enslaved to it. Uh, remember, we, sometimes we use a phrase that a, a non-believer sins 24 hours a day. And that's a true statement. It doesn't mean that every single thing they're doing is sinful, but everything they are doing is being done in a sinful way because the act of refusing to submit to God is an ongoing thing. Because as long as you're not submitting, you're in rebellion. There, there's, no, there's no such thing as, well, I'm not really rebelling against God, but I'm not in submission either. Okay, that, that doesn't, there's no such thing as that. It is one or the other. God makes it clear that way when you read through the scripture. So an individual is enslaved to sin. We all know, we already, as we, as we, we may have been taught, that uh, we're born in, into sin. We're born with the sin nature. We have to be saved from our sin. We have to be saved from our sin nature. We have to be saved from the power of sin. And all of that is accomplished for us in the cross by Jesus Christ. Then, then what happens is, is the Bible also uses this language where a few times Paul will mention that we are slaves of Christ. And he talks about himself being that way. And the idea behind that is several, several ideas. The main one being, maybe, maybe a good way to put it, is Paul says that as a human being, his number one concern is not about himself and not about his own rights and not about what he wants. His number one concern is the will of God. And everything flows then from that. So he is then in that sense a slave to Christ. There is, there is nothing that he desires that God has not approved of. Now, you and I can live that way because when you read through the scripture, uh, we, we recognize that there is this this sphere in which we live in, where we do have freedom to live and act as we desire. As a Christian, I want to make sure that what I am desiring is things that are righteous, but we have to make sure we understand what righteous means, because sometimes we, we want to limit that word to only being about religious things, and, and it's, it's broader than that. So. For example, so for me to love my wife is a righteous thing. Okay, that, God wants me to do that. For me to love my children is a righteous thing. For me to provide for my family is a righteous thing. It's honoring the God. Uh, for me to care for my own health honors the Lord. Right now, if I worship myself, now, now we've got a problem. All right? um, the, 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 uh, so all these different things we do. So if I take care of my house, Right? I'm honoring the Lord by taking care of those things that he's given me. There's always going to be a line that you can cross where you're no longer just caring for whatever you own as honor to the Lord. It becomes clear that that is somehow your idol or whatever the case may happen to be. So we always, we have to be aware of that. But the idea of honoring God is not just when you come to church and when you read the Bible and when you pray. 
it, it covers every aspect of life, which is what Paul is doing here. Is he's, he wants these individuals to understand that this relationship that we have with Christ, what Christ has done for us, affects us in every way. That, and even though our sin is forgiven and we now have this relationship with God, it's God who has created us, God who has given us life, who has dictated how we, his creation, ought to live and how we are to move and how we are to do all these things. And so he's giving us instruction. We need this instruction because as believers, we have lived our whole life with a sin nature. We don't know what it is that God wants us to do. And so he has to instruct us um, as to this is, this is how God wants us to live. This is what this means. And so then the idea here is when it comes to a slave, well, now that I'm a Christian, what does that mean? And so it says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, now, to be honest, during the time of Paul, most, I don't say most, quite a few slaves would have actually agreed with that. They would have never thought about God, but there was an acceptance in those days that if you were a slave, that means you accepted what came along with it. You remember you could become a slave because your country was overrun by Rome. You could, you could become a slave because you could not pay your financial debts. You know, there's all types of ways that you could become a slave. Not all slaves were mistreated. Some were, some were mistreated gravely. Um, it is true that in many countries, uh, if you were a slave, you had zero rights to the point that if your slave owner killed you, they would not be charged with murder because you weren't a human. And the Bible's not saying that's correct. All that is wrong. At the same time, if you are a Christian, be, you are expected by God to be a Christian when whatever circumstance you are now in. So there's, there's no command saying that you shouldn't try to be free. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you don't, but, but the idea is not, well, now that I'm a Christian, I can murder my owner and then I'll be free. That, no, that's off the table. Why? Because you're a Christian. Uh, and so all that, everything changes uh, when you become a believer. So that's what Paul is doing here. And if you're unfamiliar with the history of the church, what we call the early church, which would be during the time of the book of Acts and when the church was first developing, it, it would have been very common for a church to be filled with both slave owners and slaves. It would not have been unusual for the pastor to have been a slave. He was owned by someone else, but he was the pastor. That, that would not have been out of the question. And in some cases, his master was a member of his church. And that was not supposed to cause any kind of controversy uh, in, in that realm. Again, that doesn't mean that it's all okay, but, the, but that was not what the point is. Uh, and there's a lot of things that go into trying to reverse uh, that, the, the whole slave trade uh, kind of thing. So here, so Paul is advocating again what it is an individual needs to do, what they need to be um, when, they are a, uh, when they become a believer. And God has an expectation that we are a person of character and quality, that we are pursuing righteousness because we want, we want every aspect of our life to honor the Lord, regardless of the circumstance we find ourselves in. So whether we're rich or poor, whether you're in debt or out of debt, no matter what it is you do, that's, that's where you have to be. Um, and that's how you have to do it. Um, and, the, and, and the idea is that you are then trusting the Lord with your whole life, which would then mean for the slave, trusting the Lord for your freedom, 
And it may be the God's will that you won't be free. And, you know, all illustrations break down. Uh, but when I was serving as a jail chaplain, I did try to make it clear, or I did make it clear, to every single inmate who became a believer that just because you become a believer does not mean that God's going to knock time off your, chain, off your sentence. God can do that, and God has often done that, but there's no guarantee that God would do that. If you're in for life, there's no guarantee that you won't die in prison. There's no guarantee of that. You, are you forgiven? Absolutely. But we still, you know, and we kind of work, work our way through there. And, and I found myself ha making sure I did that because I wasn't always sure what they might hear from other Christians. Because sometimes Christians can mean well, but they don't really always say what's biblically accurate. And, and of course, we have an example in the Bible. We have the example of Joseph, who, again, is a great example because he was imprisoned unjustly. But he was imprisoned unjustly from our perspective. Uh, from his owner's perspective, it wasn't because he was a slave. He didn't have any rights. Some believe, and this may be true, some believe that when Joseph was, remember the way he got in prison was he was sold by his brothers into slavery. Uh, he was bought by, a, uh, basically a, in the end, by a family that was uh, run by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar recognized that Joseph had quite a few skills and he kept turning over his, the, the management, which included finances and the running of his basically his farm, ranch, whatever, over to Joseph. And the more uh, responsibility he gave Joseph, the more his wealth grew. That's a pretty good deal. So he's like, you know, have at it, young man, <laughs> kind of a thing. So Joseph was in charge. So as the story goes, Potiphar's wife, for whatever the reason, took a liking to Joseph. And when Potiphar was out of town, uh, she basically wanted him to have sex with her. And he refused, said he wouldn't do it. Uh, she was pretty upset by that. Um, and so as he left, she grabbed his coat, uh, like an outer robe, and then she called in the, uh, some of the servants from the house and said, uh, you know the guy that's ruling over you, the, the, the slave that my husband chose to be in charge? He tried to rape me. And so they grabbed him and held him. Potiphar, when he returned back home from business, was told the story, uh, and he then threw him in the prison. His actions, some think, we can't be dogmatic about it, some think that what Potiphar did was actually an act of mercy because he didn't believe his wife. Because normally he would have just had Joseph killed. That's not what he did. He put him in prison. He, he, he had to do something because if he shamed his wife, he would bring shame to himself. You know, that whole kind of thing. And so, but again, that's, that, part of that speculation uh, I lean that way, but I would never be dogmatic that that's exactly what took place. But in the end, we know from the story that Joseph was innocent, and he was imprisoned. And when he was imprisoned, we know exactly, we don't know what, how he reacted or how, what he thought about every day, but we know how he ended up behaving. And ended up behaving in such a way that the jailer said, man, this, I can trust this cat. And basically gave him the keys to the jail, and he ran the jail. Now, one of the things that's interesting, I think, is what Joseph didn't do. When Potiphar gave him the keys, Joseph didn't go back to a cell and say, looks like God set me free. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what he did. You know, he didn't go unlock the jail and run. Uh, he, he stayed there, and he, and he basically, as he was given responsibilities, which he wasn't obligated to do, really, he did all those 
to, and, and then eventually we know the story. You know, God had him uh, meet a couple guys that were imprisoned because uh, Pharaoh got upset and he interpreted their dreams. And then, of course, you know, what happened was is the, his interpretation came true. One of them lost their life. The other guy had his uh, job restored. Joseph said, just do one thing. Remember me. And the guy said, absolutely. His job was restored. Forgot about Joseph. Because Joseph was there for a few more years. Then he remembered. <laughs> when, when Pharaoh had a dream and couldn't remember it, and said, ah, he was all upset. And the guy, oh, you know, I know somebody. He's still in prison. Uh, but the thing is, is Joseph gives to us a very good example of, of how one can trust the Lord, uh, even, uh, even as we do so imperfectly. So that's the idea, then, that, that um, is also kind of being uh, expressed here is that we are to trust the Lord. So trusting the Lord, then, is normally going to be seen in our obedience. Okay, trusting the Lord is not just saying, I trust the Lord. It doesn't mean that you just say, well, I'm praying for certain things, and I'm trusting God that it will come. That is trusting God. But that's just a small aspect of trusting God. When we talk about uh, where the rubber hits the road, so to speak, that comes into play when we actually live out what the Scripture says. Um, and follow what it says, regardless of the consequences. That is trusting the Lord. Uh, and so, and, and that's what Paul is wanting them to do. So he gets into the nitty-gritty, and first begins with a general statement, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Then he stops because he wants to deal with an internal attitude, uh, because he understands human nature. And he says, not by way of eye service as people-pleasers. So by him stating that, even though he is talking directly to those who are slaves, this actually applies to every single individual who is in submission to anyone who's in authority over you. So that would be wherever you work, the bottom line is, is you need to fulfill all your responsibilities and make sure that you are not only doing it when your boss is looking, basically. The idea is that you are to do your best job every time you are there, period, because you are actually serving the Lord. You're serving the Lord in what you're doing. That's the idea. Um, so God obviously, you know, if you, if you work in a lawn care, God doesn't need you to cut his grass. All right? But you are serving the Lord because you represent the Lord in what you do. The, the, you know, we, our character is to reflect the character of God. You know, that's why the way we treat each other reflects on the Lord. Uh, and so that's the idea here, is that these individuals need to make sure that their attitude is right or what drives them is correct, and they're not just doing this because they're somehow thinking they're going to be given a, uh, uh, an advance or an advantage. And sometimes even a Christian can do that in a wrong way. We, we see what this says. We oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be a man pleaser. I'm going to do a good job. And then if we do this faithfully for several years and... Let's say that not only do you not get promoted, but let's say there's some others around you who are, you know, not deserving, and they get promoted, because we've got to make it really worse, make it re realistic. And we start getting upset, and we might be tempted to think, so what good does it do me? Right? In other words, the idea behind that thought is, the only reason I'm doing this for the Lord is because he's supposed to make sure I get a promotion. Where does, that's not in the Bible. That's not what he says. What he says is, don't be a man pleaser. We are to do this to the Lord. Whether anything good happens to you or not is not even the point. And I, and I am convinced, um, if you just think about it for a moment, 
Think of all the years that have gone by since the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And think of all the individuals that no one's ever heard about who had jobs or responsibilities, whether they were slave or free, and they were doing their, taking care of their responsibilities to the best of their ability, and no one ever recognized them for what they did. There's, that's thousands and thousands and thousands. The good news is, is the Lord said he would reward those who serve him faithfully. So we'll get a chance to meet all those people when we go to heaven. But the bottom line is, is, is we somehow think that we've been slighted and we also sometimes think or feel that it's worse for us than anyone else and it's totally unfair. Well, maybe it, is, maybe it is, but you're not the first. You won't be the last, and you're probably not, you've probably not been treated the worst compared to others because there's a ton of them throughout the world. We have it really, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we have it really good here in this country. If you could see what happens in other countries and how, what unfairness really looks like, it would blow your mind. Yes, John O. Correct. God's best for me does not mean I get a brand new mattress every three years. <laughs> All right? That may not be what it is. All right? God's best may not be that nice brand new SUV you've been looking at. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. All right? God's best is completely different. But we always, you know, we not always, but we can often think in material terms. Uh, and life is more than that. But at the same time, you can think in material terms. Because it is going to be really great. One day. Right? One day. I, won't, I will not be uncomfortable. One day. I will never go hungry. One day. I mean, I will never get sick. I will never have to worry about the weather again. Ever. I mean, it's just one day that's all going to happen. So that, you know, it's pretty cool. So we don't have to be afraid of all that. But we just want to make sure we don't mess it up here. So again, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. But then he says, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So God does want us to be sincere. So being sincere does make a difference. And the idea here is that you are sincere in your attitude towards whatever your responsibilities are because it's, it is for the Lord. In fact, what's driving you here is you fear the Lord. So this, again, obviously is not a terror of God where you are, you're, you know, your teeth are chattering. But this has to do really with that very, uh, I, I call it a heavy respect that we recognize the weight because of the authority of, and, and, and who God is. In the same way that um, if you have, uh, maybe, maybe it's not you, maybe it is you, maybe you've met somebody like, like this where an individual behaves and lives a certain way and it, what ends up coming out is because of this immense respect they have for their father, who may even be dead now. And, and, but it's like there's, there's a weight to that, a, a healthy weight to that, that, that they carry with them. So it's not a burden. But because of that, they live in a certain way. All right? So that's the idea, is that because of who God is, because, because of the weight that, you know, in other words, God, he matters. He's the only one that matters. He matters big time. And so because of that, then that is what's driving me then to, 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 to do what I do the way that I do it uh, and, and to live in a particular way. So here, this is how he wants us to be sincere. 
we fear the Lord. Then he says, just in case you're wondering, you know, are there any exceptions to this? Verse 23 is, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So whatever it is, so it doesn't matter what your job is. Uh, there used to be um, back, they, they call it now the Protestant work ethic, which came out of Christianity um, in a prominent way. I guess you would say in the 1500s and 1600s where it became, I guess, more well known because it would be talked about, where an individual, uh, whether he was a, a stone mason or whether he uh, worked with glass or you know, whatever, whatever usually is, or whether he was a farmer or whatever it happened to be, if he was a believer, the idea was that he was doing it with all of his heart, mind, and soul because it was really for the Lord. Uh, there was a story, some preacher gave the story, and I don't even know if it's, if it's even true, uh, but the idea there's these, there's these men that are working, they're, they're brick masons, and they're working on building this huge cathedral, and you know, they ask him what they're doing, and the guy says, well, I'm just trying to get through the day. You know, one brick goes on top of another. I want to keep it straight. And the first couple of guys end up answering something similar. And then the other guy uh, is doing the same work they are, and he says, I am building a great cathedral for God. All right, and so the, the perspective was completely different. That's what he's, and that's all the whole point of the story is the perspective and how awesome even the perspective can affect our attitude and the way that we work. So, so, even, so even if your job is what may be called where you're starting on the ground floor, or, and whether you're working in fast food or you're working in construction or you're working as an apprentice or whatever it happens to be, the bottom line is, is you want to do the best that you can, period. It's, it's as, as if the Lord himself is your direct supervisor. That's, that's the attitude that we are to carry with us. And <clears throat> with that, some individuals say, well, if you do that, then it'd be easy then for uh, maybe a boss who is uh, not a very righteous person can take advantage of you. Absolutely. Absolutely that can happen. Don't worry about it. Let God take care of that. He will. God will take care of it. There's a lot of ways that can happen. Um, I've been in situations where, um, and I'm not, I've never done this perfectly, uh, but I've tried to work hard and do the best that I can. And there was one situation where I had a boss. This was at Pizza Hut, when Pizza Hut used to be a restaurant. Um, this is back in Hawaii. I had a boss who was, uh, I worked my way up to assistant manager, and this guy was, he was kind of a jerk. Um, and, uh, but I still fulfilled all my responsibilities, the whole thing. And then the day came, he was fired and they gave me his job. All right. Now that's not why I did it. I didn't know that was going to happen, but that was great. All right. Then the day came when, um, I left that job, I had to take another job, but because of, I had a good track record. And so this other company that I was going with should have never hired me, but they did. Um, and so things have worked out well, but it's always been what the Lord has worked out, but at least I'm not hurting my own cause by, you know, really messing up. Um, and my jobs weren't always fun. I've been, a, I've been a janitor before. That's not a lot of fun, uh, especially when you're cleaning 20 offices a day. That's a lot of toilets. And not everybody is very clean, even if they work in an office. It doesn't mean a thing. So anyway, I counted one time how many toilets I stuck my hand down in the summer. So that's a big number. But anyway, um, 
But the idea is, is that whatever you do, it doesn't matter what it is. So whether you, whether you end up being, like, a, let's say, a CEO, or you're a middle management, or you are, again, uh, on, the, on the ground level. The bottom line is, is we, serve, we are serving the Lord, and this is what he says uh, here that we are to do. And I would include with this in the application, then if you do any volunteer work, and again, whether you're volunteering to do something in a church, or you're doing something volunteer anywhere, the bottom line is that's, that's, this is how we do it. If you're not going to do that, then don't volunteer to do it. Now we, we are to do it for the Lord, period. Um, and, uh, the, and the Lord sees that and honors the Lord. So going on, he tells us why, uh, verse 23, whatever you do, do a holiness for the Lord and not for men. Why? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. The inheritance he's speaking of is future. You know, when Christ receives his inheritance, we receive the inheritance. That's, that's when it culminates. So it's already built in, this idea that for most people, maybe we could say for all in the end, that's, it's coming in the future. It's not now. Whatever, whatever you and I get now that may be good, the Bible says every good thing does come from God, so it is from God. But it is not the ultimate. The ultimate is not that. The ultimate is going to be this, uh, where all those who have been redeemed by God, which includes, because that, this would be part and parcel, we are also the same group that is seeking to honor the Lord with our life. So as we all collectively, in our own way, have lived for the Lord, we then will be given this inheritance that God's going to give to Christ. And it's going to be great, uh, to say the least. So, and we know that. He says, we know that's going to happen. And then, just to make sure it's real clear, we have these six words in the English language. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's who we're serving. That, in the end, that's who it is. So it's not, if you're a slave, it's not your master. It's not your boss. It is the Lord Christ. Uh, word Lord is important uh, there. Uh, the word Lord not only indicates that he is divine, it also indicates that he is sovereign Lord, or he is the master. He is the one that everybody is accountable to. Um, so he is, he is the divine, sovereign, anointed one, is who this is talking about. Uh, that's who we are serving. Then, just to make sure that we have a good handle on this, and uh, we understand the full picture, he says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. So if you have all these what-if questions, you know, well, I'm a slave and I'm doing this, but what if my boss is, or what if my master is? The wrongdoer will be paid back for his wrong. God is the one who makes sure, he's the one that makes sure that happens. So no one gets away with anything. This is not going to happen. I'll tell you a story. Uh, it's a true story. Um, there was a, uh, uh, it happens in a small town, it's back in the early 60s, and I don't know if it was in some small town in Indiana or Illinois, but anyway, um, there was this husband and wife, uh, she, had, she was a Christian, she should not have married the guy she married, he said he was a Christian, but he wasn't, but anyway, they got married, and uh, he would come to church with her off and on. But after a couple of years, he just stopped going. He wasn't interested. He didn't care. And uh, through time, he began to treat her poorly. Uh, he began to get mean. Uh, he didn't hit her, uh, but he was mean. He 
showed her no appreciation, didn't treat her as a, as a human being almost. He had a job, he was a salesman, so he did a lot of traveling. And um, he, uh, um, it's, like he began, it's like he became cynical toward his wife because she was a Christian. And so even though she never complained to him, it seemed like that would make him more angry. And it really bothered him. So what he would do is, is on Wednesday nights, because he would come home sometimes often in the middle of the week just to change clothes, take a shower, sleep, then go back on the road. Uh, and then come back on a Sunday afternoon. So anyway, so he, he would call his buddies and have them come to insist they would come to his house for, to play poker. So they'd play poker in the, in the kitchen, big kitchen table. And of course, they, as each week went by, it was a bigger and bigger mess. And... Uh, it is believed by most who know the story that he knew that she was the kind of person she could not go to bed with the kitchen looking that way. And so he made sure, I mean, they, they, it was just a mess. So one night, you know, he'd already gone upstairs. I guess he'd woken up. It was past, you know, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. She's downstairs. And, you know, she's just she's fighting, becoming filled with bitterness, the whole thing. And so she had, um, she had opened the refrigerator I guess to put some stuff away and she just ended up dropping to her knees and just saying Lord I just I need your help I don't know if I can keep keep doing this well he came down and he kind of caught her uh, there kneeling at the open refrigerator so being the nice guy that he was he reached in and he grabbed this picture of, of I think it was water and he poured it on her head and said here's your showers of blessing <laughs> and then dropped the picture and went back upstairs so that's kind of what she was facing. So she had, um, she had a couple of close friends who were also Christians, and they did their best to encourage her. So they weren't telling her, you need to divorce your husband. Now, I'm not saying she needed to stay and put up with that, but back in the early 60s, you, there's no choice to do anything. And so they're, but they said they would pray for her. Uh, they would come, sometimes come by the house and help her clean. You know, during other days of the week when he wasn't around, because um, they were afraid that if he knew they were coming to help, that he would do and make things worse. So with all that being said, one night, he's been doing this now for actually a couple of years, and he's treating her worse and worse, and she's just being worn down. One night, he's driving down the road, he's getting a little tired, and remember now, there's no cell phones, there's a lot of uh, safety things on the highway now they didn't have then, and one of the things they have on, a, on the highway now is, you know, when you come to a guardrail, number one, the guardrail at the end is usually curved. And a lot of times there's these big orange sand barrels or whatever around it. We didn't have that back then. It just ended like this. Well, he missed the turn. And the um, guardrail went through the engine, through the dashboard, in his chest, and came out his back through part of the front seat. And according to the story, he never lost consciousness. And he is, he's got this thing, I mean, it's like this. And he's in pain. There's, he's hoping someone comes by. Someone finally does come by. They see what's going on, but they have to leave. You have to go find a phone. There's no such thing as a cell phone. So these, the, the people, they leave. They, they try to find some house, and they bang on the door, and they're able to, to call the police, and, and the police are able to, you know, they get a, an ambulance back then, there's no jaws of, you know, jaws of life they have now where they can cut people. They didn't have that back then either. 
And they're trying to figure, they, they show up on the scene, he's still, he's still alive, he's still conscious. They're trying to figure out what to do. So according to, the, according to the reports that have all been put together after this entire event took place, it's been maybe almost three hours. He has not lost consciousness, and he's still there. And someone figures out that what they're going to have to do is get a torch. And they're going to have to get a welding torch and cut him out and transport him and part of the guardrail and all that to the hospital for the doctors to do their thing. Well, you start, you, and they finally, they, they get a farmer. It takes a while to get, the, he finally gets there. He's got the torch. They start going, but you know, when you're using a, a, this torch on to cut this metal, that metal begins to heat up. So they have to stop. Now they got to get a source of water to start pouring water on this guardrail so it doesn't heat up and burn them on the inside. I mean, this, is, um, this, this, this thing they're working on is taking a long time. And they're finally able to get this thing cut and get him cut out and, and get to where they're just about ready to remove him. It's been, you know, it's, it's, it's daylight now. Uh, it's been seven, eight, maybe nine hours. And they finally were able to start to move the seat and then he dies. And the guy suffered for a long time. Not about you, but I'm thinking there's no such thing as an accident or a coincidence. Don't mess with God's people, especially if it's a quiet little woman. <laughs> All right, because God takes vengeance way better than we ever could. Now, and just remember, for that man, that's not the worst of it. Okay, he wasn't a believer. Man, that, I mean, I just like, and now some people can, they can go through all these, well, it's just a coincidence, there's no connection. Say whatever you want. I believe what the Bible says, God can do whatever he wants. There's no accidents, God is sovereign. That took place for a reason. That happened to that man. That happened to that man after he did this to this woman. Um, you know, who knows what he was thinking when, when he was there through all that. And maybe he thought through all those things, maybe he didn't. I don't know, but because I, according to the story that I remember, is he was unable to speak. He could kind of grunt, but he couldn't talk. Um, so who knows what he was going through. So the thing is, is that um, we need to serve the Lord. The, the good, now, I can, I'll tell you the rest of the story real quick. So eventually what happens is she ends up working at a bank. She's got to support herself. She's got no intentions of remarrying. Um, she ends up uh, finding some new guy in a couple years moves into town. Uh, he starts banking at that bank. She's the teller. They meet. Uh, she sees him at church. He's interested. They go out a few times. Uh, this guy seems like he's too good to be true. Um, they, uh, they get married. And as they're driving away, as far as she knows, they're going to Niagara Falls <laughs> for their honeymoon, which I guess was the big spot uh, when all this is going on. And he tells her, that he's not been completely honest with her. And of course, <laughs> who knows what's going through her head? And he hands her an envelope. And of course, she sees the envelope, uh, she opens it up, and to say the least, she's totally blown away. What he had not been honest about was he was actually unbelievably wealthy. And they were not gonna go to Niagara Falls for their honeymoon. They were gonna go on a trip around the world which was, there was many places she had always dreamed of going to. And he was wealthy enough that it was a trip around the world and it was going to be a nice, slow one. It was going to be a, take him a year to go and visit all these countries. Pretty good ending. Almost as good as Cinderella. Maybe it's better. <laughs> all right. 
So the thing is, is, you know, God, he, he pretty much could take care of things. Um, now, don't leave here thinking that's going to happen to you. <laughs> it may not. It might, but it may not. All right? <laughs> you can always dream, I guess. But in the end, what he says here is true. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And then he adds, there is no partiality. There is no partiality is a really big, important phrase for those that Paul was writing to, we probably would minimize it because of, the, of our culture. But in, in, in that culture, during the time of Paul, partiality is just normal. Those who are rich or those who are powerful get what they want, period. Most of them, they, they do not face justice. They have an unfair advantage that they have all the time. That's just how it is. Partiality is just an everyday occurrence. And there's nothing that anyone can do about it. And he wants them to know before God that doesn't exist. Doesn't matter how powerful, let's go back to the slave. Doesn't matter how powerful your master is. Doesn't matter uh, what his standing in society is. Doesn't matter. There's no partiality. There would be absolute justice. Remember that what justice is, you get exactly what you deserve. That's why. You know, this is, it should be more common in the jail, but, you know, it depends on who your chaplain is. But in the end, you never, ever, 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 ever ask God for justice. Don't do that. Because you don't want justice. Because justice means you get exactly what you deserve. We want one thing, mercy. All right, now, if you want justice, you go ahead. I'm not praying for justice for me. Um, you know, I just, I want mercy. Um, and don't ever ask God to be fair, because that's the same thing, same idea. You get exactly what you deserve. And what do we deserve? Nothing. Uh, so don't go there. Uh, we need to have a proper understanding of, of how really rebellious we've been in our life and how, how dreadfully sinful our sin is. We, 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 we still sometimes fall back on this idea because we know about so many others who have done things worse than us. And they do exist. There's people who've done hideous things. There's many of them. And they get away with it. And we are, relatively speaking, we're not even close to the kind of evil that they do. We're not. At the same time, God views our evilness in one sense on the same scale. It's, it's not exactly the same. I don't want to misrepresent God because I don't want you to think somehow God is this monster who thinks that because you've been lying to people for most of your life that you are uh, no better in one sense than the child molester. All right, so so it's, it's, it's not that there's, there's no diminishing what a child molester's done. God never does that. There's no diminishing of that. Remember, Jesus himself did say, there are those who do things deserving of what? Many stripes. All right, there's clearly degrees of punishment. How it works out, I don't know. I don't know the specifics. But there's degrees of punishment. It starts with bad, and then it gets worse. All right, so no one's getting away with anything. But what we sometimes do or fail to do is we think that because we're not this, somehow, and we won't say that we're good, but it's almost as if we are good. We're not good. We're not good. Not, we're not good in any way. Um, and so it, it, is, it can be hard for us to imagine ourselves as being as vile as a child molester. Right? It is. I'll be honest with you. It's, that's hard. I just... I might be in the same boat, but I'm not sitting in the same seat. 
He knows those individuals, okay? But my rebellion is no less offensive to God. And it's really hard for us to grasp that because God is perfectly holy and we're not. Remember, you and I have been living with our sin our whole life, right? So we're used to it. We're used to our sin. We're very comfortable with it. Um, and, um, you know, that's why it is not unusual as we grow as Christians for us at times to go through periods of time where we maybe have a growing sense of disgust for ourselves because we begin to understand the vileness of our own sin. And that's okay. That's a sign of growth uh, when we go through that. You may even become even deeply saddened by that. Now, we, we want to be careful. We don't want to begin to move into this arena where we think somehow God hasn't forgiven us because he has. But I do think that as our hearts change, there should be a growing sadness, at least, towards ourselves because of our sin. When I think about, uh, when I was, when I was a, a teenager, um, I was just very, uh, well, I could be very superficially polite. I could be very obedient. My dad was strict. But I was also very, uh, I was sarcastic, rude, crude. I was very um, unloving, very, I could just say things that would just, I mean, my friend and I would get together and practice putting each other down to see who could do it the best and the quickest. Who could have the most wicked response? I mean, that's what we would do. And, you, and of course, you end up doing that with everybody. It was not a good thing. And so there have been things I had said to people that were just cutting, you know, just, and, it would, and it was just, it was bad. And, I, and, I, and back then I would have laughed about it or whatever. Man, I just like, man, I just, I just need to be smacked again for that kind of stuff. I just... It just, it's, it's just uh, very, uh, I loathe, I hate myself when, it, when I remember those kinds of things. I wish I could do something to take it back, and I can't. Uh, and, I, and I hate that as well. But I, but I think that's a good thing. Right? If, I was still, if I was indifferent about that, then I would really wonder, have I grown as a Christian? If I'm still indifferent um, uh, you know, to that and maybe the people that I've hurt. Well, I know I did hurt people. Uh, many of them were adults. They're dead now. Um, some of them I don't even know who they are in a sense, because I was just, my, my mouth would just get me in trouble all the time. Uh, and I, it, I, was, I, I wasn't cussing at him, but I, I was very cutting at the things that I said. So it's, it's a good thing when we become bothered by our past sins. That, that's a healthy thing. Um, but at the same time, don't let it continue to drag you down. There's a season for that. And then we can move on, because we really are, we really are forgiven of that, which shows us the, the incredible grace of God. And so that then in turn then should give to us an understanding and the ability, the capacity to then forgive others for what they've done to us. Because what others have done to us is not worse than what you and I have done to others. We've betrayed people. We've let them down. We've lied to them. Who knows how they took the stuff that we did and said? Who knows who all that we affected? So it's just arrogant of us to think somehow that... Um, what others have done to, to me is somehow worse than what I've done to others. Uh, they, you know, that's what we sometimes, you get into an argument with somebody and they say, you know, you need to forgive so-and-so. You don't understand what they did to me. And you're probably right, I don't. But I know this about human nature. I'm pretty sure that whatever they've done to you probably isn't maybe necessarily worse than what you've done to others. And what we do is we kind of mess that up by saying, I never did that to anybody. Well, of course you didn't do that to anybody else. But that doesn't mean that the other things you did weren't, didn't affect people the same way. You know, it, it kind of goes back to, uh, um, 
You know, sometimes when, when we, hopefully you don't do this anymore. It depends on where you are in your growth as a Christian. But you know, sometimes we can say things to people when we get angry. Um, we can say things that are hurtful or spiteful. Here's the deal. Sometimes individuals will do this. They'll say, I'm sorry I said that to you. I didn't mean it. So that's what I want to, that's what I want to say. Time out. Yes, you did. Now, technically, it is possible you didn't mean the exact words you said, but you did mean to hurt them. That you did do. So if I'm arguing with John, John and I have never argued. Never. We've disagreed, I think, I think. We've never argued. Right, so let's say that I get really angry at him. I get really, I, get, I mean, I get mad. And I say, I just wish you were dead. I would never say that. But if I said that, all right, and let's say he's like, he, he's like, he can't believe that that came out of my mouth. I mean, he's just blown away by that. I can apologize, and I can give a weak apology, because that's what I think this would be. A weak apology, you know, John, I've been under a lot of stress, da 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 all my excuses, and I lost my temper, da 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 all my excuses. I didn't mean what I said, but I'm sorry. Now, knowing John, he would accept it, but that's weak on my part. Now, so it's true, maybe I didn't really want him dead, but I really did want to him. I, want, I wanted to hurt him. I wanted to say something strong to cause him to what? To, to, to be quiet or whatever. I did intend to harm him in some way. I'm guilty of that. So we have to get away from this technical thing of, well, I didn't really mean that. When you really, what, what you meant to do is exactly what you did. You just found the words to do it. So when we argue with people, we know what buttons to push, right? Especially if it's family. You know what bothers them, and you'll say that. And again, you may not say that because you want that thing to happen, but you did intend to, you know, put the knife in or whatever. And so we have to, we have to be, so we have, so we, it's important for us to become aware of those things and to recognize them for what they are. So again, when it comes to what he's talking about here in these verses, again, with God, there is no partiality. Doesn't matter your standing, none of those things. The wrongdoer is going to be paid back, which that statement alone should help us to have a deeper appreciation for the atonement because what I, what I deserve for the wrong that I've done was done to Christ. Remember, it comes back to that. He took my punishment. God, God, when I put my faith in Christ, God did not look at me and say, we're just going to pretend you never did it. That's not what happened. My God is just. My sin has to be paid for, period. So he then, he punished Christ as if he did all the things that I've done in my life. So it is not as if I've not done anything. There's not an erasing of things as if somehow those things don't matter. They did matter, and that's why Jesus had to die. And because there's no partiality, God didn't say, well, I'm going to go easy on Bob because one day he'll be a pastor. I guarantee you that does not enter the mind of God. All right? That's of no consequence. All right? In fact, maybe what God is doing is I'm going to perform a miracle. I'm going to take this idiot here with a, with a stupid mouth and I'm going to turn him into a preacher. Watch this. <laughs> and people go, oh, I can't believe that. All right? But that's kind of the idea uh, with all of this. So, so this also at the same time has, once again, I think also points very strongly to the atonement and, and how deeply this should affect us 
And that, once again, what God demands of us in the way that we live our lives is that every aspect belongs to him. And there's an expectation that God has. The, and so I'm going to finish with this. I've used this illustration before. I, I, I came up with it in the jail, and I've used it a few times here um, to talk about this expectation that God, God has of us. But I think it puts a different spin on it, and it's, it goes this way. So let's say that I suddenly strike it rich. I get, I get mega rich. And so, so I tell John and Pam, I said, I got a deal for you guys. I said, I'm going to give you a home to live in for the rest of your lives, no rent. This home, five bedrooms, so you can have guests whenever you want, five bedrooms, six bathrooms. Every bedroom's got its own bathroom, and then you have another bathroom for whatever. It's got a pool, nice pool. It's got a three-car garage, and there are vehicles in the garage. They will always have gas, and the pantry will always have food. You have you, nothing you have to do. You don't have to do a thing. It is yours. The power will never go off. You can use it any way you want. It's all yours until the day that you die. There's only one rule, only one. You have to keep that place spotless. And if you don't, because I may show up at unexpected times and I'm going to inspect. I find dirt, not only are you being kicked out, I'm calling in 12 angry men who are going to beat you on the way out, and you'll be thrown to the street. So the question is, with only one rule, will they enjoy this gift? Five bedrooms, six bathrooms, a pool, there's no way they're enjoying that gift. If, they, if, if, they, if I find any dirt, in fact, all I have to do is this. I got to walk in the house one day and do this. And I just take a white glove. Because <laughs> who cleans up there? <laughs> I used to be a janitor. I did that. Anyway, I go, call my buddies. All right, so now let's change the story. Let's change the story. So I tell Pam and, and John, same thing. Everything I just said, you get... Absolutely, and the same rule. You have to keep the place absolutely spotless. But here's the difference. When I come in unannounced, I find dirt, I help you clean it. Now, do you think they'll enjoy the house? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely they'll enjoy the house. So God has this expectation. We have to live in a particular way. And he tells us, I'm going to help you live that way. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so, slave or free, male or female, Gentile or Jew, it's the same for all of us. Same God, saves us the same way, gives to us the same spirit, and enables us and strengthens us to live according to his will. And he will bless us for doing what we're supposed to do. He'll bless us for obeying him. It's a great deal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your kindness and grace and goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you are a benevolent God. We know, Lord, that you are a God of righteousness. We know, Lord, that you are a God of justice. We know, Lord, that you must punish sin. But Father, we are grateful. Those of us who know you as our Lord and Savior, we are grateful that our sins are forgiven. Father, we, we thank you that you have not only clearly given us your expectations, but you've promised, us, promised to help us along the way. And Father, we need your help. We need your help desperately. And we want your help. So, Father, we ask now that as we bring our time here to a close, that you will cause us to think often about 
this passage here in Colossians, that we'll dwell on it. And Lord, we'll seek to, to view you and life in a different way. Bless us, Father, as we, as we need your blessing. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.